Will you join me in prayer? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On this Back to School Sunday, we are beginning a brand new sermon series on Moses and Miriam. This week, we will focus primarily on Moses, but don't worry, we have a strong female next week. We will talk about Miriam next week. And then the week after that, we will go right back to Moses again. If you already know a whole lot about Moses and Miriam, I hope we can bring something new to the table today. And if you are brand new to Moses and Miriam's story, you are in good company. We will set the stage each week so that you know exactly where we are in the story and what is going on. In general, Moses' story is an epic one. There are plenty of references to Moses in pop culture and even blockbuster movies like the Ten Commandments, classic, and my personal favorite, of course, the Prince of Egypt. We get Moses' entire life story in the Bible from birth to death, which is not always the case of our main characters in the Bible. And Moses' story is one full of suspense and of adventure. As a super brief summary, sometimes when I was in youth ministry, uh, the kids would call this story time with Stephanie, so buckle your seatbelts. In Exodus, Moses is born, and when Moses is born, Pharaoh has ordered that all of the Hebrew-born males, that their lives must be taken because the Hebrews were growing in number, and Pharaoh believed that they may someday pose a threat to the Egyptians who enslaved them. Moses' mom, in a very famous tale, sends Moses down a river in the hopes of saving him. Baby Moses is found by one of Pharaoh's daughters, and he is raised in the Egyptian world. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week with Miriam. However, even though Moses is kind of raised in this royal family, Moses knows that he is Hebrew. And as he grows older, he notices the way that the Hebrews are mistreated and abused by the Egyptians. Moses goes on to take the life of an Egyptian who is mistreating an enslaved Hebrew. Riddled with guilt and then eventually terrified for his own life because of what he's done, Moses escapes Egypt and settles in the land of Midian. There, he basically sets up a new life for himself by this water well. He just camps out there and that's where he lives. And as Moses is living at this water well, he saves this group of Midianite sisters from a rowdy group of shepherds. And because of this, the sister's father offers him a place in their household. And Moses goes on to marry one of the daughters, Zipporah. Moses and Zipporah have a son. The Egyptian pharaoh who was in charge dies. And the Hebrews in Egypt are still enslaved. That is basically all of the first two chapters of Exodus in a nutshell. They really pack it in there. Today, we are going to focus on Moses and the burning bush. Moses is still living in Midian, and scripture tells us that Moses 
is 80 years old. So this picture may be a little accurate with how old he looks here. Not that 80 is old, 80 is the new 50. So when you hear that Moses is 80, that may catch some of us off guard a little bit. I am not a biblical scholar, nor do I claim to be. And there are a lot of ideas and speculations about how time frames work in the Old Testament, where we get a lot of characters who live to be in their 100s. I cannot definitively tell you how accurate the number 80 is, but in Hebrew scripture, these ages usually have some type of significance around them, and they aren't always used to calculate literal time. Take it or leave it, I like to imagine old Moses here with a burning bush. Uh, and maybe it adds something new that you've never heard to the story. So let's read together the first bit of our passage today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. Hear these words. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. Moses led the flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Oreb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, huh, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Holy ground. Moses is out doing his work. It would be like one of us going about our normal day-to-day -day routine. There is nothing particularly special or impressive about what Moses is doing right before he happens upon this burning bush. Exodus tells us that a messenger of God appears to Moses in a flame of fire in the middle of the bush, but the messenger doesn't call out to Moses. Moses could have easily glanced at the bush, thought, huh, that's on fire, okay, bye, and gone about with his normal day. But Moses takes a closer look. Moses sets aside his normal activities to really take notice of this extraordinary thing that's happening right in front of him. A burning bush without literally burning to ashes. It just keeps burning and burning and burning. It's only then, it's only when Mo Moses stops what he's doing and takes notice that the voice of God calls out to him. There is a lot for us to take away from this encounter. But the first thing that I notice when we read this is that Moses takes some time to stop during his normal thing and he takes notice of the world around him. It's only when he stops that he meets God. And this is even a bigger deal than a burning bush and God talking to Moses. Because prior to this moment in Exodus, God has been silent. God has not spoken in scripture since Genesis 46.4. 
when God tells Jacob or Israel that he will see his family to Egypt, where they will be made into a great nation. God coming to speak to Moses in this moment is a really big deal. It's a sign that God has remembered God's people. God's people who have been enslaved for over 400 years. Moses is the one who stops. He takes a step away from his everyday life and he takes notice of the extraordinary. Moses stops and God says, Moses, I'm here. You are on holy ground. In many cultures, taking your shoes off before entering a home or a place of faith is a sign of deep respect. It also aids in the cleanliness of a space, which I would argue is another sign of respect, trying to keep someone, being good stewards of the spaces we inhabit. I think respect and awe are definitely a reason Moses is asked to take his shoes off. I can't help but also think of other moments in my life where I've taken my shoes off. The most regular occurrence, as is probably for most of you, is every day once I get home. My shoes are the first thing I take off as I come into the door. And then I think of these other times in my life where I've been at my friends' houses and everyone was, you know, laying on the couch, getting comfortable, making themselves at home in someone else's house, and shoes started coming off. It wasn't done out of respect or cleanliness necessarily. It was done out of a comfortab comfortability or maybe even a vulnerability. I'm in this place where I belong. I can make myself at home here. I'm in a safe, trusted space full of people who care for me and I care for them. Moses does not know what God is about to ask of him, but it's clear that Moses is taking notice of this special moment. And maybe taking off his shoes is a sign of respect and maybe it's also about making himself vulnerable for what is about to come. Exodus 3, verses 6 through 11. God continued, I am the God of your father Abraham's God, Isaac's God and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to get them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustices have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So Moses, get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh 
and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? Who am I to go? Moses has taken notice of the burning bush. He's taken his shoes off out of respect for this holy ground. He has made himself vulnerable before God. And then Moses is told to rescue the Hebrews, the Israelites from Egypt. It's a very big call. It is a life-altering, history-making call. God has heard the cries of God's people, and God chooses Moses. Moses, the Hebrew baby rescued by the Egyptians, the man who took the life of an Egyptian, the man living as a Midianite in a strange land caring for someone else's animals. God chooses him, Moses, the one who takes notice of a burning bush and instead of continuing on his way, draws near. Moses understands how big of a calling this is. Moses knows what he is up against. Moses was raised in a royal Egyptian household. He's familiar with the politics and the history surrounding the Egyptians' enslavement of the Hebrew people. And when God tells him he's the one who's going to set them free, his response is, who am I to do this thing? Who am I? We have had this moment too. We have had those times in our lives when we think to ourselves, who am I to do this? Who am I to raise this child? Who am I to go to a brand new school? Who am I to speak up for injustices? Who am I to be entrusted with this job? Who am I to have this unique opportunity? We constantly ask ourselves what we've done to deserve certain things, both good and bad. We ask ourselves what qualifications we could possibly have to do what's being asked of us. We understand to an extent what Moses is going through here. He's wondering why on earth, out of all of these people, is he the one having this particular conversation with God? Who am I? We ask this of ourselves in moments where we feel like we don't deserve to be where we are or where we're nervous about this really big thing being entrusted to us. We look inward and we start calculating all the reasons we're not able to follow through. Moses asked God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God responds. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. God says to Moses, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am 
has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. God says, this is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. I am who I am. Moses asked who he himself is to have such a big thing asked for him. And God, instead of answering about who Moses is, God points to who God is. God is God. It doesn't matter how unqualified or how nervous Moses may feel or how many excuses Moses is about to make if you keep reading. The main thing in this moment is that we know and Moses knows God is God. This is our message, our callings, and we will all have many different callings throughout our lives. Those callings may often be intimidating or overwhelming. We may consistently question, who am I? Just as Moses does. But our qualifications and our excuses and our fears are nothing compared to who we know God to be. God is faithful. God is present. God hears God's people. God is good. God is God. And we are not. It doesn't mean that our callings will be easy. Moses' calling to save the Israelites is the absolute opposite of easy. But God reminds Moses that God is steadfast and forever, and God will never leave Moses' side. This is our truth. God is God, and God is with each of us. It's what keeps us going in dark moments. It's what helps us when we are fearful on that first day of school. It's the promise God has had for God's people since the beginning of time. God is God. Moses had a bit, pretty big calling placed upon his life. And it didn't matter his qualifications or lack thereof. All that mattered is that Moses remembered God is God. As we embark our, on our own journeys this week, may we too hold on to this promise. God is God.